and welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, welcome to Grid Talk. Today we have with us Mona Tierney-Lloyd, who's head of U.S. public policy at Eno North America. Hi, Mona. How are you today? I'm doing great, Marty. How are you? I'm good. We're very pleased to have you as a uh, follow-up to our interview most recently of Antonio Camacera, who's the head of Eno Grids. And uh, it's really rare and a wonderful opportunity to allow our audience uh, to have a deeper dive into one utility that's making a difference. Of course, to remind everyone, Enel is the world's leading private electricity distribution provider, and it's also the world's largest renewable developer. Mona, just tell us in general, what does the head of U.S. public policy do for an Italian-based electric utility giant like Enel? Oh, thank you for asking that question. So um, most of my role is working with a team of public policy professionals that are located across the United States. I'm based in Reno, Nevada. Um, I have another colleague in Las Vegas, one in Oklahoma City, one in um, Maine, and one in Kansas City, Missouri. And that team of professionals works in, the, in that region to represent ANEL before legislative bodies, um, as well as interfacing with um, government. And so governor's offices um, and administrative offices. And so um, ANEL has a very large footprint of, across the United States. We do renewable energy development, wind and solar, also utility scale, battery energy storage. But um, Enel also has uh, distributed energy resources that are represented by NLX, and we also have electric vehicle charging services represented by NLX Way. So we have lots of different business lines that are operational across the U.S., and we work to develop um, good public policy to support those those business lines. So. You work in all 50 states, I take it, as well as at the federal level. Has a diversity of policies and different approaches uh, complicate your life, and uh, how does it make your life interesting? Well, I, I've been um, in this profession with Enel and um, with Enel predecessor companies for, um, I'll, I'll be starting my 15th year soon and have been doing public policy for many years before that. Um, I can say with that history that this is the most interesting time to be in the energy sector that I've ever experienced. It's very transformative, um, and it's really great to see um, all of these policies become implemented at uh, customer levels and at the grid levels and really become a significant factor um, in the energy industry, um, you know, probably 10 to 20 years ago, renewable uh, energy was something that was looked upon as a novelty, and now it is really a significant portion of the grid. So it's really great to see these 
these technologies come to fruition. And it's also great to see the new technologies um, being advanced as well. You know, battery energy storage was also a novel concept for a while. Now it's a very integral part of the grid. Um, it's very recognized as being an important element to integrating more renewable technologies and certainly adoption of electric vehicles and the need for infrastructure for that um, has been recognized in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, and you know many states are advancing state policies in support of these technologies as well. So it's a really interesting, fun time to be in this business. So if Enel is the world's largest renewable developer, how does that carry over in the United States? How close are you to getting to that rung in the U.S. market? And how big do you think you'll be getting it in the coming decade? Well, um, Enel is very bullish on development in the United States. We have eight gigawatts of renewable development um, operational today, and we have expectations of adding at least two gigawatts per year of additional uh, renewable development. Most of our um, new development that um, we have underway, we're also adding utility-scale battery storage alongside of that new renewable development. So um, Enel is very bullish on the opportunities in the United States and Canada. And is there any way you can quantify your asset base in the United States? Is there a dollar value that you attach that you report or give us an idea of how big you are totally? Yeah. Um, you know, we have invested um, billions, billions and billions of dollars in the U.S. market. Um and I'm sorry, I don't have the exact number at my fingertips right now, but um, multiple billions, $8.3 billion is our expected investment just in the 2022-2024 timeframe. So that's a, that's a significant amount of investment. And um, on our um, NLX, our distributed energy resource side, we're we're managing over $10.5 billion in energy spend from about 4,500 businesses. So multiple billions of dollars um, that we're projecting to invest in North America over the next two years. If I read your profile accurately, prior to joining uh, or taking your current position, you were Senior Director of Western Regulatory Affairs for Enernoc where you worked on smart energy management. How does that roll over into your current assignment? Yeah, um, I, I work primarily on distributed energy resources um, with an Enernoc prior to the Enel acquisition um, and mostly in the Western United States. Um, since the Enel acquisition and uh, with my transition into this role, uh, my responsibilities have expanded to a national um, platform and also all of Enel's technologies. So moving beyond distributed energy resources or including distributed energy resources into our renewable energy development um, goals. And then also with Enel X-Way and our electric vehicle charging um, uh, business line, 
I've, I now encompass all of those different technologies. So it's been a, a great experience for me to expand my understanding of energy beyond uh, where I was previously to include renewable energy, utility scale uh, storage, and then also um, electric vehicle charging. I, I want to to uh, go back and, and uh, spend a little more time on, on what you just said a few minutes ago about this being a really pregnant moment in the industry. Um, you have a background where you've been at Constellation Energy, uh, Enron, San Diego Gas and Electric. So you've been al- across the landscape in the utility market. You indicated the level of investment that one Italian-based co- company, Enel, is making in the billions of dollars a year, multiple billions of dollars a year, at the same time that the federal government, as you alluded to, is committed committing billions of dollars to flow into infrastructure development in the energy space. How is this going to marry up efficiently in your mind, and how does one leverage off the other? How does the private sector investment capitalize on what government the federal government is putting in at the same time how does government achieve its objectives in tackling carbon emissions and getting a more robust resilient grid because players like you are stepping up yeah it's it's a great question because as your question indicates there are many different levels of engagement and um, different um uh, agencies and institutions that are involved in moving forward with this huge um, and very inspirational um, amount of money that the federal government has directed towards um, greenhouse gas emissions reductions and clean energy development. So we're extremely grateful to be at this point in time uh, with with um, government and the federal government recognizing the importance of setting the tone and direction um, and the investment um, behind bringing these technologies further into the U.S. economy and the U.S. energy sector. Um, And, you know, with any huge amount of investment, um, there's a lot of implementation that has to happen to, to bring it to reality. We obviously are very excited about this moment in time um, because we are an experienced company that has been doing this type of development in North America for about 20 years, as well as our global experience. So we think we bring um, a real experienced team to do the development um, and to move forward. Um, But there's also, you know, implementation is never an easy transition from, you know, the policy on the page to actually bringing projects uh, online. And so we have to also be able to work at the very local level where we're doing these these developments. And um, a large portion of our development today is in um, the Southwest Power Pool. We're also in um, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, so that's uh, where a lot of our uh, development is. But we're looking to expand that development across the United States in places where uh, we don't have as big a footprint um, as we have in these other regions. So that's one of the areas of 
um, you know, anytime you do new development in a new place, it, there's a learning curve associated with that. And establishing ourselves um, to have that same reputation in those other regions where we're maybe less well-known than we are in the Southwest Power Pole or in ERCOT. So, um, so that's part of, um, you know, expanding our existing footprint into these other markets. We're also interested um, in, um, you know, uh, get, you know, trying to develop markets in certain places um, to bring those resources along where they may not already exist. And that's one of our, um, our policy priorities that we're also working on is to try to develop um, markets in certain places, like in the West, where there isn't a widely organized market. Um, but that's, that's a lot of it. And then certainly there are still supply chain issues um, in, in bringing solar panels into the United States and making sure that those panels are made with fair, fair trade and labor practices um, and are or looking at domestic manufacturing of solar panels in the United States as well. So, so just on that point, you know, there have been flare-ups and trade disputes in the last year on that. Um, are you confident that the Biden administration efforts to really bolster domestic manufacturing is going to make a difference? Well, certainly companies like ours are looking at that um, and they're, um, you know, we already have a solar panel manufacturing plant over in um, Italy. Um, and so that's certainly something that Enel is considering. Um, but I think it, it will make companies look at um, domestic manufacturing, um, you know, for the, for the supply chain uh, reasons that have developed over the course of the last several years. Um, and so, so are, are you saying Enel is likely to start manufacturing solar in the United States in the near future? I, I'm not saying we're, it's likely. I'd say it's something that we're examining. We're looking at the um, manufacturing credits um, and taking that into consideration relative to our own development goals in North America. And what about uh, wind turbines? Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not aware of any plans uh, to. Uh, develop our own wind turbines in the U.S. at this point. How strong is Enel in offshore wind in Europe, and do you see that growing here? Um, not strong. Um, that's not an area of focus for Enel in North America. So uh, we're focused on land development of our resources. And let's let's turn to EVs now, because as you know, um, California is leading the way for an increased dependence on EVs, and many manufacturers are transitioning to no longer manufacturing fossil fuel-powered vehicles in, in the next decade. Um, do you think the public is aware of the transformation that has to occur in the grid to enable that kind of massive shift in powering transportation? Well, certainly, if you speak to electric vehicle owners, they're aware of the need for the infrastructure build-out. Uh, we're very excited about the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that dedicated money towards um, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program. 
Um, and um, certainly our company, NLX Way, is interested in um, participating in building out public charging stations uh, to the extent that, you know, those uh, awards would happen at the state level. But um, we're, we're very interested in seeing that happen. And certainly states like California and other states, um, New York, Massachusetts, um, Pennsylvania, Florida, um, are looking at state investment in, in their infrastructure as well. So it would be a great marriage of both uh, state and federal funding to really jumpstart some of the infrastructure build out that needs to happen for the electric vehicle transition. You mentioned two our regions, ERCOT. Of course, two years ago, I had a massive power failure in February as a result of a winter storm. Um, what's your reading of, of what policies have been put in place to address that kind of shortfall? And what role is ENL playing in possibly helping to ameliorate future weather disruptions? So one of the biggest um, policy changes that has occurred in, in Texas is uh, weatherization. They had a similar event, less tragic, um, that happened 10 years ago. Uh, with a similar similar freeze off of their um, gas and electricity systems, so um, weatherization is a very significant factor. Um, taking into consideration, you know, all regions are experiencing extreme weather events. Um, te- for Texas to have that kind of a cold snap was um, unprecedented, and for that period of time was unprecedented. So when you say when you say weatherization, you're talking about hardening generation and other assets for weather disruptions. That's correct. Um, insulation of of gas pipelines, um, insulating uh, generating stations that rely on natural gas, inspections of other types of of generating assets, including our own uh, solar and wind facilities to make sure that they're operational when they're going to be needed. So um, just that kind of coordination with the Public Utilities Commission and ensuring operational, uh, the operational status of the fleet. You mentioned your interest in developing new markets. Um, Are there parts of the country that have had a more traditional uh, regulatory state regulatory regime that might not have the degree of penetration of renewables that you think you might be able to make some headway in? Um, well, we're definitely looking all across the United States, as I mentioned, where we have our existing fleet. We're looking to expand um, beyond those markets of uh, Southwest Power Pool and ERCOT, looking into the Western United States, uh, the PJM market, the mid-continent um, uh, system operator, or the, the MISO, looking in those regions for additional development opportunities. And do you see a lot of it coming? What do you see on the horizon? And uh, how much of this is being fed by federal policy and initiatives? Um, we certainly see the federal policy and initiatives as being supportive of those goals, but um, Enel has had expansion goals um, to move into other markets um, even before um, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act were passed. So they're supportive, certainly supportive, but Enel has had their own goals and aspirations of expanding into other markets uh, for a while. 
So, so given your experience with policy and regulatory environment, are there any one or two or three changes you'd like to see FERC embrace? And are there any one or two or three changes you'd like to see more state regulatory commissions embrace? Thank you for that question. Um, so from the, from the federal perspective, um, and, and uh, some of this are areas that are under exploration um, by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, but um, the ability to bring these new developments of renewable energy online and have adequate transmission to support delivery of the electricity is one of the big areas that we'd like to see development. Um, there's a lot, there are several studies out there now that show that we need a lot of investment into the, our backbone, the transmission system, in order to deliver electricity reliably. Um, so that's one of the big areas. Um, interconnecting these new resources is something that also can take years of, of study um, at the uh, system operator level, and we'd like to see those processes more standardized and streamlined to the extent that they can be. Um, so those two areas would be important from a federal perspective. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we'd like to see a market develop in the Western United States where you currently have something like 38 individual balancing area authorities. They need to be better coordinated and interconnected um, and do some regional type planning for what their transmission needs are across that large geography, rather than having each of those balancing area authorities do their own individual planning. So integration of the system, strengthening of the system through additional transmission, and then being able to bring these resources online more quickly through more streamlined um, and standardized interconnection policies. So in the Western region, those 38 markets, to what extent has the emerging fire threat from climate change made that even more imperative? Yeah, excellent question. Um, I, I think it's it's been pretty apparent that fire is a real danger to our transmission system and to the reliability of our electricity grid. I think the Western um, uh, the Western utilities and the public utilities commissions and the system operator in California are acutely aware of that concern and also very acutely aware of the inter interdependency of those groups on each other. Um, all you need to have is uh, the drought that we have in the West where you have extremely low water supplies and hydro being lower than it normally would um, to put these these areas into uh, a critical situation um, in terms of maintaining their reliability. So being able to depend on each other and support each other with reserves in the Western United States and not um, you know, just be individually responsible for, for providing electricity, um, I think that creates a lot of uh, heightened reliability whenever these extreme situations happen, either lack of water or fire, that you have others that you can rely upon to help provide the, the grid stability um, and reduce the likelihood of having outages. So you've nicely addressed federal policy shifts that you'd like to see. What about the state commissions in Idaho, Kansas, Arizona, Pennsylvania, all across the country? You've got 
a multiplicity of of philosophies you have to deal with. Are there any two or three principles you'd like to see them all embrace going forward? Well, I would say for one thing, in the multiplicity of, of views about energy policy, I think the technological advancement um, and wanting your grid to be a 21st century grid is something that all public utilities commissioners and, and state agencies should be interested in having for the reasons that we were talking about earlier, reliability, resiliency, um, and just having um, the latest technology to be able to provide those services. If Even if um, greenhouse gas emissions isn't the primary public policy in a particular state, economic development is. And the uh, where we do a lot of our development is in rural communities um, that don't attract a lot of other types of big business. So we're bringing in investment into those communities to help support schools. Um, Anel has done a really great job in um, training and education at local community colleges. So there's a lot of benefits in having companies like Enel come into these rural communities and develop these projects. So at the economic development aspect of bringing renewable resources forward is something I think that all communities benefit from. Is there any last thought you'd like to share with us about your job and uh, what you think this industry is going to look like in five years that people don't really appreciate yet? Yeah, I, I would. And thank you for that question. Um, I, I hope that I'm conveying the amount of excitement um, that I have for this particular point in time. I'm really excited to see where we are in five years. I'm hoping that we recognize the import of developing the transmission assets that we need to bring these resources um, to bear um, I'm also hoping that we have greenhouse gas emissions reductions um, that are hitting the targets that we expect. But I think that in five years, more of, uh, more of America is going to see the benefits of these investments coming from the federal government. I also think we're going to see more technology integration, uh, more solar uh, combined with renewables, more customer-sided um, integrated technologies like electric vehicle charging, demand response, battery energy storage. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this bringing stability and benefits to the grid and the economy. Thank you, Mona. Thank you, Marty. We've been talking with Mona Tierley Lloyd, who's the head of U.S. public policy at NL North America. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk. Please send us your feedback or questions at gridtalk at enroll.gov. We encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the podcast series or to subscribe, visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.